0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org.
1: Yeah, Andrea Fell had asked me if I would give a talk tonight and didn't really give me a subject. So this being January, it's kind of the beginning of the year. It's a good time to kind of start anew. Let's see, what else is happening? Um, well, the Super Bowl is coming up in about 10 days. And one of the things about the Super Bowl, it's sort of the culmination of a lot of development of a lot of skill and a lot of practice and a lot of effort. And one of the things that you hear when you listen to the coaches and the, and the players talk is how important the fundamentals are. You know, kind of getting to the basics, the the fundamentals, the the foundational practices are what really support, you know, um, say, progress. And so I thought today I would give a talk called Back to Basics. And part of that is motivated by the fact that right now I'm teaching a five-week introductory meditation series on Monday mornings with Shin Kwan Park, and this Saturday I'm giving a talk on the four foundations of mindfulness. So, kind of these foundational practices have really been on my mind lately, Um, as. Marine said I've been here since 1998 and in fact it turns out today is my 14th anniversary. I came I came to this practice exactly 14 years ago as a as a raw beginner. I had some experience with transcendental meditation. So I had had some experience with um you know developing the discipline to sit every day and to pay attention to one thing. But not with this insight practice. So, I mean, after 14 years of meditation, I no longer consider myself a a raw beginner. I'm probably more like an intermediate or advanced beginner. (laughs) Um, Can I ask you something? I'm sorry to interrupt, but where were you at that time, 14 years ago? We were in Palo Alto At, at at the Quaker Church. (laughs) Yeah, and so one of the problems with being an advanced beginner is you sort of forget some of the fundamentals or you think, you know, I'm really ready to move on to some, you know, kind of more exalted practice and I I want, you know, things to happen. And uh, over Christmas time, I sat a 10-day retreat and I knew that I, this this um, introductory class was coming up, and I decided, you know, maybe I should take a second look at paying attention to my breath. You know, maybe there's something there that I've been missing, or, you know, I've kind of been tuning out to. And what I found was as I started, th- the year before, I had started paying attention to the chest and the heart area, developing... Um, what I called heartfelt practice. And this retreat I had been paying attention more to the breath in the abdominal area. It's sometimes called the Hara. And look you know, seeing what would it be like to really just do nothing but pay attention to the breath as it entered and leaves and and leaves the Hara. And it and it um and it really kind of woke up that part of the, of the body for me. I really found that there was some both increased uh, sensitivity and also some increased energy by paying attention to the breath in that area. I also found out that some idea that I had been clinging to for many years that I wore a size 36 waist was inaccurate. (laughs) And I found that out both because there was tightness when I tried to breathe really deeply down there, and also by the fact that on the first night of the retreat, as I was getting undressed, the button popped off my pants. Geez, well fortunately I have another pair of pants. And usually I don't eat very much on retreats, so you know this will be okay, I'll, I'll work it out. And then on the very last night of the retreat, on the last sitting, I got up and the button on my other pair of pants popped <laughs> off. So I realized, yeah, you know, I guess I'm really not a 36 anymore. <clears throat> so that was one of the insights that I had. <laughs> but also it was helpful because by then you know, actually having pants that were no longer buttoned, I was able to actually breathe even deeper and you know kind of really get more uh, into the body in that way so you know so pay, you know really kind of bringing the attention to the breath in a new way you know in like continuing to find interest in it is is real important in this practice and so I was going to describe. Introductory meditation in two different ways tonight. The first, well, so first of all, I was, I was curious, how many of you have taken some introductory meditation course, either a one hour or a five week? Okay, looks like a fair number of you. How many of you done it in the last year? Okay. So I'm going to review just basic mindfulness meditation and also with a with an idea of why we teach it the way we do so there's the there's the the way that's usually taught here it's car, kind of the spirit rock method where you can so first of all there's nothing that occurs that's outside of this practice everything every experience you're having you can pay attention to you can be mindful of it's helpful sometimes to kind of categorize it or prioritize it or look at it in a certain way that helps you um, not kind of get lost in the myriad of experience that goes on. So the instruction is to, at the, at the very center, is to pay attention to the breath. Really let the breath be kind of home base, where you where you return your attention to time and again. And it's helpful because first of all the breath is fairly neutral. It's not incredibly usually not very incredibly pleasant or incredibly unpleasant. Um, the breath's always there. I mean if you're not breathing, you're probably not meditating. You know, it's it's you need medical help. Um, so it's always there. And it can have a certain soothing quality, a certain, um, you know, rhythmic quality that can help um, relax the body, relax the mind, relax the heart. And it's, it's simple. You know, it isn't, it's not like, thoughts and emotions and things like that it's it's a fairly simple thing so you you can just you know you can just stay with that in its in its simplicity and then if you look at your experiences as a series of concentric rings there's the breath in the middle and then the next ring out is the body so you can as bodily sensations arise then you can bring your awareness to the bodily sensations and again the body is always in the present moment so by by paying attention to the body it helps you bring your attention to what's happening right here and right now and the breath can help connect with the body connect you with the body that as, as I said, as you start to breathe deeper and deeper, you can start feeling the, the body f- uh, sensations, the um, energy that comes from the in-breath and the relaxation from the out-breath. You can even do some kind of uh, uh, things that are more like visualizations where you can imagine the breath breathing all the way down through your legs to your feet, you know, or into your arms, or filling your head. So you can you can use the breath to help make bring your kind of embody your awareness. The next concentric ring out from the body, and, and I'm imagining most of you have had this this kind of instruction, the next bring out from the body is emotions. And emotions are more complex. They're more complex than the breath and they're more complex than the body. Um, They're made up of, they have a bodily component to them. They also have a lot of connection with thoughts, with memories, with stories the meanings we bring to emotions, um, beliefs about our emotions. We often have, um, I think I've heard it described, we often have like strict manifestos about emotions. You know, For some people emotions are really to be completely discounted, ignored, they get in the way of rational thought. We're not, you know, we're not going to go there, or they're painful. Other people can be on the side that emotions are all, you know, like they're where really where it's at, and so you know, every you know, like your whole life revolves around your emotions and and what they mean and. Every single emotion has to be expressed. And so in between these two poles of repression and expression, there can be this middle way of just noticing emotions in the same way, you know, no differently than you pay attention to the breath or pay attention to the body. And... As we develop this practice, as we learn to pay attention to what's happening, there can a trust can develop that it's okay to pay attention, in meditation anyway, it's okay to pay attention to the emotion. So it doesn't mean that we're going to um, let ourselves get carried away by it or that we're necessarily going to feed it. Know, try to strengthen it, but just really pay attention to what it's like and watch the flow of energy as the emotion arises. You know, Just give the emotion the freedom to arise, manifest itself in the body and in the thoughts, pay attention to it, and then just let it pass through. And in paying attention to the emotion in that way, then we can we can stay attentive to what's that emotion like right now you know what you know where is it where do you feel it in the body? Is it getting stronger is it getting weaker is it staying the same without having to um, change it in any way or yeah without having to change it anyway, another part of that so another part that I alluded to earlier is not only paying attention to what's that emotion like but also how are we relating to it? you know what's our relationship to that experience and that can be a real important part of this meditation practice is noticing how we're re- relating. To the emotions, as they arise, and can we just be present for them and not sort of like start thinking about the story about where they came from or where they're going to lead, you know? But staying, staying present. Let's see. The the um, so we talked about the breath and the body and emotions the next level out is thoughts. And that's often where we can really, really get caught. That's really where um, we've maybe developed a a lopsided sense of awareness. Because if you really pay attention to a thought, you find that it sort of comes and goes very quickly. It's a fairly insubstantial thing, and yet the amount of energy that we put into pursuing them, getting entangled in them, um, you know, um, getting pulled away from a a more embodied experience, makes it hard to, to pay attention, to just notice that they're arising and noticing that they're passing without immediately wanting to start getting involved in, in the thoughts and feeding them and, and you know, sort of getting carried away on the, on the, uh, the train of thought. So it's not like we're trying to stop thinking in this process, but we're really seeing if we can just notice it, notice it arising and passing without, um, while still staying connected to these other kind of concentric circles. And then the final concentric circle is the mind. And when I first came here, they used to not teach about the mind being this this outer concentric circle. But what it is, the differentiation between thoughts and mind are in mind we pay attention to What's the state of our mind you know what's what's the underlying um, mood or attitude or predisposition of our mind at any given moment and it's important to pay attention to that because you can well I've noticed I can get in a lot of trouble if I don't I was driving up here one day and somebody you know, cut me off or something, and I really got angry. And then I thought, okay, well I'm okay. So anger's arisen. So I noticed it, I noted it, let it go. But then I noticed, oh, right now my mind is very irritable. Like at the moment I noticed that, there was nothing that I was there was nothing in particular that I was angry about or irritated about. But I, I could just tell, you know. I'm, my mind is just looking for something to be angry about. It, it was just, you know, it was, it was irritable. And I find I get that way sometimes in the afternoon. And so, and so develop, so that's another thing that we can do in this practice is pay attention not only to what the thoughts are, but what's, what's the state of our mind? What's our mood? Um, as kind of a counterexample, I, re- I remember one time um, back in the 80s, I was living in Berkeley, and I was going to a, a psychotherapist every week. And one time I went, I went to his office, and I parked in my car on the street <clears throat> and had a wonderful session. I came out, I felt so relaxed, I was just so happy and open, And as I got into my car, this woman came over and was irate because I had just spaced out and I had parked right in front of her driveway. And so she, you know, so like for the hour that I was parked there, she couldn't get out. And she was just letting me have it, you know, like, oh, how could you be so? And I realized most of the time I would have been pretty defensive or uh, ashamed or, you know, had some reaction. And, And in that time, with that, Particular mind state of just being open and happy. It was like, you know, I told her I was totally undefended. I just said, you know, I, you know, I'm really sorry I blocked you. I just I completely missed that sign. I, com- you know, I, you know, I, you know, it's you know, I, I, I'm glad that you pointed this out to me. You know, and I won't park here again. But I was able to do it in a way that didn't um, either. <laughs> oh, I thought it was that woman was still still, still trying to get to me, tw- twenty five years later. <laughs> so you know, so noticing what 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 your attitude is, what your state of mind is, um is important I mean it's, it's important um, it's an important thing to pay attention to and you know kind of recognize so there are certain times when I realize with the state that my mind is right now, this would be a very bad time to have a sensitive conversation with a coworker. You know, like, okay, right now, you know. And then other times it's like, oh, yeah, now, you know, I'm feeling happy. You know, like, the mood is, and the, the state of the mind is is clear, it's concentrated. Um, now would be a good time to have a, con- a particular, maybe difficult uh, communication. And... although the introductory meditation is really about learning to pay attention to what's going on. You know, paying attention to the breath, paying attention to the body, paying attention to emotions, paying attention to thoughts, paying attention to mind states. To become more aware of what's going on, to in a way to have greater information about what's happening for you. So um, you're not just lost in your ideas and your concepts about your life. You're really more fully experiencing your life. There's also another element of this practice, which is not only noticing all of this, but then seeing where you have choices, you know, where, where you can choose in the things you think about, the things you say, and the things you do. And so, by being aware of all of these things, particularly by being aware of mind states and thoughts and emotions and the body and and the breath, you can make wiser choices. And so, so that's that's kind of the motivation for, for why you know, why do this? You know, why pay attention to all of these things? because um, there's a lot there's a lot of um, modeling in our society and, and probably all societies of how can how can I distract myself? from what's going on? How can I distract myself from the things that I'd rather not experience? So, in this practice, in a way we're mm, going against the grain. You know, we're, we're really developing an ability to be present for and notice all aspects of our lived experience. So that's the <clears throat> 20th or 21st century version of mindfulness meditation as taught on the West Coast. The Buddha had a somewhat, he, he described the foundations of mindfulness somewhat differently. And so I'll go over those briefly as well because I think they're useful to bring to this Um, so the first foundation of mindfulness as taught by the Buddha was mindfulness of the body. So again, the mindfulness of the breath, mindfulness of physical sensations, but also mindfulness of um, seeing, you know, paying attention to the, what comes in through the the eye, uh, attention to sound, um, Of course, attention to touch, physical sensation, attention to um, smell, and attention to taste. And so that's not unlike the first two, two concentric circles that I described earlier. The second foundation of mindfulness that the Buddha taught sort of permeates all, all of these circles, which is paying attention to the feeling tone of your experience. And what feeling tone points to is, is the experience that I'm having, is it pleasant? Is it unpleasant? Or is it um, neither pleasant nor unpleasant? That's kind of hard to say, so we just say neutral. So is it pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral? And it's, it can be very helpful to, to just spend maybe one whole meditation session noticing pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. And the value of that is that the things that are pleasant, uh, the experiences that are pleasant are often the ones that we decide, that's great, I want to hang on to it. I want more of that. And so there can be this grasping after, after uh, physical uh, um, experience that we find pleasant. And likewise, experience that we have that, that we find unpleasant, that's what we tend to you know, kind of try to push away or um, get away from, not pay attention to, uh, distract ourselves from, and so by just noticing that something is unpleasant, it can make it easier to just be with it. Okay, you say, okay, well, this is unpleasant, but I don't have—I don't have to turn away from it. I can—I can notice what that's like. So it gives us access to a whole range of our experience that we tend to want to push away. And then the third quality this neither pleasant nor unpleasant sometimes called neutral is those experiences that we tend to just not even notice. You know that so there's a, like a whole range of experience that we're just um sort of deluded about that we're not we're not. We're ignoring. Um, maybe an example of that would be if you were to look at this wall. You know the kind of the color of this wall. Um, it's you know it's not super exciting. You know it's not like oh my god I love that color. And probably it's also not. Um, Incredibly unpleasant, like, oh my God, you know I, how whoever chose that color you know it's like but it's it's rather neutral, and as a and as a result, you tend to kind of tune it out, so by spending some time in your meditation noticing which experiences are pleasant, which are unpleasant, and which are neutral, then it helps you tune into how you are relating to that experience. You know, are you relating to it through greed or sensual desire? Are you relating to it through hatred or ill will or aversion? Or are you relating to it through um, ignorance? And so, so that quality of feeling tone, sometimes called Vedana, that's something that you can notice in the in the breath, in the body, in the emotions, in the thoughts, and the mind. Uh, the third foundation of mindfulness is is um, mindfulness of mind states and I'll read sort of a classical description of this, which you can expand on in your own way. Um, You know, how how does a monk live contemplating mind states as mind states? And it says, herein a monk knows the consciousness with lust as consciousness with lust, the consciousness without lust as without lust, consciousness with hate as with hate, consciousness without hate as without hate, Consciousness with ignorance as with ignorance. Consciousness without ignorance as without ignorance. The, sh- the contracted state of mind. The distracted state of mind. The developed state of consciousness. The undeveloped state of consciousness. And, um, you know, goes on. Uh, concentrated mind, unconcentrated mind. The freed mind and the unfreed mind. So the Buddha put a lot of emphasis on, on um, paying attention to the quality of your, con- you know, not just what you're conscious of, but also the quality of your consciousness. And then the fourth one is mindfulness of um, what he calls mind objects. Which should be thoughts, and seeing, you know, kind of paying attention to what is it that you're spending your time thinking about. So, so that's sort of a brief overview of the of the way the Buddha taught mindfulness meditation, and. I think that's probably enough for me now and I'd like to hear um, any questions or comments or um, observations you might have about your own practice of mindfulness.
2: Jim,
0: I didn't completely understand the third state of consciousness Paying attention to the quality of our mindfulness. I'm sorry, but I just, I, I wonder if you could ex- tell me what, again, what that meant.
1: Mm. Well, paying attention to um, what's the mood or the attitude of your mind.
0: Oh, that would be
1: good. Yeah. Okay. So some you know, mind or consciousness.
0: I think you explained it better than the Buddha. <laughs> uh,
2: the question is uh, about when to meditate. Do you believe that if you, medit- if you begin your meditation when you are calm, relaxed, and even emotionally happy versus when you're agitated, unhappy, and angry, what's the difference when you begin to meditate other than the emotions involved?
1: Well, first of all, I'd like to ask you, do you notice a difference? I mean, have you tried meditating under both sets of conditions?
2: Uh, yes, I have. Uh, I just thought of the question today. So um, the question is, if you meditate when you're relaxed and then something during the day, agitates you. You're more able to cope with that uh, that, uh, that that situation, uh, versus if you're very angry, then you just meditate to relax.
1: Well, <clears throat> it's kind of a tricky thing. Sometimes we sit down to meditate, thinking that we're going to develop some particular state of mind or some particular type of calm and while that often can happen you know over time if as you meditate it may become easier to not get hooked by the things that trigger you in any given meditation period what you're going to see could be very greatly so <clears throat> you might sit in the morning and you'd be very calm, and you'd say, "Oh, this is great." Um, but that doesn't necess- that doesn't necessarily. How can I say this? I think it's just as helpful to sit and meditate when you're feeling anger because then you get to know, to really study what is what does anger feel like you know what's you know what's it and you know kind of what tends to trigger it and how do you get caught by it and so the meditation experience is really kind of a laboratory for you to to study that and over time you might notice that when those things that can trigger anger come up in daily life, you can you can see, oh yeah, this is something that triggers anger for me. And by seeing the trigger, then you might be less likely to, to actually be triggered, to get caught by it. Um, but it isn't just about always being calm. It's about learning, learning, what, how your own heart and mind work? Does, is that helpful? Yes. Do we have? A...
0: I, I'm <laughs> I'm practicing the um the homework from the third week of the beginners course, and I've been uh, you know noticing and naming my emotions, and I come up a lot with things like agitation, agitated or irritated. And then when I just heard you talk about mind, it sounds like they might have been states of mind, so I'm a little confused about the difference between an emotion and a state of mind. Is mm. is it that emotions flow more quickly and states of mind are
1: longer? Well, that's a good thing to, to uh, notice. Um, I think recently some scientists have studied that an emotion that arises basically lasts about 90 seconds. That is, if you don't continue to feed it and get re-triggered, that you know. So, like, you know, you get startled, and it takes the body about 90 seconds for that to um, to dissipate. Um, I think I, my experience of <clears throat> states of mind and mood tend to be that they do tend to last longer, particularly if I'm not noticing them or you know, kind of aware of them. Um, for example, I notice if I'm tired, I tend to be grouchy. So if I'm sitting at home alone and I'm grouchy, and nobody's saying anything to me i'm probably not getting angry that much but if but if that same kind of grouchy mood is there and somebody comes and asks me a you know to do something that i don't want to do or you know something that you know then then that emotion is more likely to arise does that
0: I have a little bit to say about the the um, the working with the the negative states. I get a lot of mileage out of that. I don't know if there's another way to put it. Is that I'll catch myself. I've had occasion to sit with my own anger and fear a lot lately, and I'll just be overwhelmed, and it's like, oh, sit, and I'll go and sit. I'll even put on a timer. You know, okay, you're going to sit for ten minutes. And just pay attention to what's going on. And I find that when I get myself into a state, it's, it's, I can get myself into a state. Mm -hmm. It's that there is that emotion. Like there's an emotion. There's this something comes up, but then there's this loop, these sets of loops that I had that will take them and wind them up. You know, it's like, so I'll turn something that might be a fleeting thing of grief into something else, or I'll, tell I'll. Put a, a fleeting irritation into this grousing thing that's really uncomfortable, and it's like I don't need to do that. Mm-hmm. And it's like sometimes it's like I can take that little crank and go. That doesn't work, mm-hmm. you know. And other times, you know, it's I can observe the little crank or sit in a mental chair next to me. Oh, it's like oh, we're cranky, aren't we? You keep on jumping into things, so that I have more of an awareness of what's going on with me. So that that I observe more than the whole idea of meditating to um, to get into you know some calm state, which would be a wonderful thing. That if that's what happened, but that, yeah. that doesn't happen to me. What I've been given lately.
1: Great, thank you. Yeah, I had an experience like that. I was um, I worked for NASA, and we we had a research aircraft. We had come back to North Dakota from where were we? I guess we were in um, Cape Verde off the coast of Africa. And it was the last flight I got back. I was actually feeling quite happy. I got all the data I needed. And somewhere along the line, one of the ground crew had taken my suitcase and put it on a truck that was going to go to the commercial airport, even though I wasn't going to the commercial airport. And so when I got off the plane, I looked for my bag, and they said, oh, well, it, so-and-so took it to the airport. And, you know, he, he would eventually bring it back. But, you know, I I started to notice this the story coming up in my mind of, Who was to blame for this? Like, you know, why didn't they ask me about my bag first? Or, you know, why why would somebody just so thoughtlessly put it on this truck? You know. But then, as I noticed the stories, I also noticed that actually, physically, I wasn't angry. At least at that point. But I could tell, you know, if I stay with this story, stay with this figuring out who screwed up and who do I talk to about it that my body would follow. You know, I mean, I would, I would get physically angry. And, you know, it was a beautiful uh, summer afternoon. And I thought, you know, I don't have to follow this story. Um, and as much as I sometimes sort of enjoy the energy of anger... You know, it can be sort of a invigorating. I also thought, that's not how I want to spend this afternoon. And so I just let the story drop. And then, you know, it, 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 just, didn't, it just didn't even wind up. And so, um, you know, that, that was a case where the mind state was pretty calm and happy and the conditions for anger to arise when they showed up, um, I could just pay attention to and then just not let that, that emotion start. But it was kind of a choice about not not feeding it. And I think you can do the same thing when you're in a, in an irritable state where it might be much easier when that trigger for anger comes to just let it go. I mean just let it blossom. With mindfulness you can you can also go, yeah, you know, I'm I'm not gonna let you know, I'm not gonna feed that that um anger cycle. So yes.
0: Um, in this tradition, is it, is it thought that you can change your mind state or is it more about being aware and noticing it as like a background thing? Yeah,
1: oh, that's a, a very good question. Great question. Um, I think it's helpful to start by just noticing what's there and become familiar with it. Over time, you can develop you know, certain things, like you can do um, loving-kindness practice that can help cultivate some of the states of mind that um, may serve you better. But it can also... So it can be kind of tricky... I mean, sometimes if you notice it, you go, well, I've got to fix it right away. I've got to change it right away. And that can sometimes lead to um, frustration. So allowing yourself to just, initially, to just see it and see what what the causes are and, and what tends to bring that mind state forward, that in a way, over time, that, that, propensity to that mind state will just relax on its own you know you'll start to see the unpleasantness of of some of these afflictive states so Well, if there are no other questions, um, we have about three more minutes, so why don't we just sit for a few minutes, get yourself in in an alert and upright posture. (coughs) Gently close your eyes. Just let your awareness rest with the breath. After all this talking, just let yourself rest with the simplicity of the breath. Returning your attention to the breath, to the body, to the experience of being right here, right now. So whatever you heard tonight that was useful, I hope that you'll take with you. And whatever you found unuseful, I hope you'll leave behind.